the Babble Ed podcast, hosted by Jonathan Miller and Scott Linder, and brought to you by Connected Learning Partnerships. Jonathan and Scott are international educators and coaches committed to better understanding the world of learning. The Babble Ed podcast is an inquiry into why contemporary educators are grappling with the issues impacting learning in our schools and exploring how diverse approaches to leadership and coaching might offer a fresh perspective. Hello again, everybody, and welcome to the Babble Ed podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Miller, and as always, for the first six and now the seventh episode, I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, Scott Lindner. Scott, how are we doing today, my friend? Jonathan, I'm uh, having a good day. I'm really, really excited about some of the work that we did today, and I'm excited to have a chat with you and our guest today about some really practical applications of coaching. Awesome. You feeling a little punchy? Uh, not so much punchy. I'm just, I'm up and about. I'm ready to have a go. All right. The focus of our babble today is part two of our coaching and practice series. And we're titling this episode Lessons Learned, which is exciting because we get to talk about failures, right? Which is how we learn, right? And once again, we are joined today by Steve Barkley. For those of you that might not know Steve, he has served as an educational consultant to school districts, teacher organizations, state departments of education, and colleges and universities nationally and internationally for the past 40 years helping organizations facilitate changes necessary for them to reach students, to successfully prepare them to create their futures. He is a published author, and he has a great weekly blog called Steve Barkley Pounders Out Loud, which has evolved into a go-to resource for teachers, coaches, and administrators all over the world. Welcome, Steve. Thanks again for joining us today. How are you doing? Great, and great to be with you. Always good to to think with you guys as partners. (laughs) Very kind. Hey, Steve, if it's okay, I wanted to jump in because... One of the thoughts from the last podcast has stayed with me and it's around one of the comments you made that leaders in schools need to be the most coached people if we want to really have a a thriving culture of coaching and that perhaps where you might be starting is looking in that low-hanging fruit, so to speak, of going who's a really coachable individual, you know, like the high-performing people that are ready. I've been thinking about this and, and wondering like how might we identify that? Is it someone that is, are there some indicators that someone is highly coachable or ready for coaching? Is there, how might we get started in that space? I'd say the people who are highly coachable are people who have a goal for students that they've yet to reach. So that could be an individual student who has me baffled. Hmm. It could be uh a teacher who's looking for more student-initiated learning. could be a teacher wanting deeper inquiry than she's getting now. But as soon as the teacher has that goal for students that they haven't reached yet, that makes them coachable. Hmm. When I open myself up to coaching, I make myself vulnerable. And vulnerability The reason I would make myself vulnerable is there's something that's important enough for me to achieve that I haven't achieved. Mm. When I have people who are hesitant to, to open themselves up to coaching, the thought I have is, are you really at the spot where you're okay knowing that your students may have walked away with less because you were uncomfortable putting your ego on the line? Mm. And so the, the coachability 
So very often, very often new teachers, beginning teachers, young in the career are very coachable Mm. because they know that they don't know (laughs) what they need to know (laughs) and they feel that it's acceptable. And then we, you know, we've created too many things in a school that tell a teacher that they've, they've topped out or they've achieved Mm. or they're doing quote well enough. And so if I'm at that point, then why would I, why would I make myself vulnerable to the whole coaching piece? It's why most of my work is driven by getting people to talk about goals. Hmm. So if I'm trying to bring a group of teachers together to work as a team or to work as a PLC or an effective department, what brings a group of people together is the common goal. If you're going to be an instructional coach working with an individual teacher, what's going to bring you together is the teacher knowing you're buying into his goal. Mm. what it is he wants to make happen with students and you're working with him to make that happen. In that case, he'll make himself vulnerable and take the risk. Yeah. I would offer there's a companion to that message, like listening to you today and just working through some of these issues with you over time. I think the companion piece is being able to speak about students as that goal, mm-hmm. that sometimes yeah. that I might have a professional goal or I've been in a system that has rewarded professional development as opposed to development that focuses on student learning behaviours and that student learning at the centre. I was thinking about a conversation just in the lunchroom this week and having not worked with this particular teacher before, but what struck me was the curiosity about an individual student that this teacher hadn't yet got through to. And that was the moment for me that I went, oh, you are so ready to just go a little bit. Like it's it's informal. It wasn't set up in any sort of way to have a yep. particular coaching conversation. But I thought, oh, yeah. It's like almost not frustrated but still curious. That's kind of a, a really it was an attractive sort of moment, I think, in learning to be able to go, huh, you are ready for this. You got excited. I got excited. I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've written that curiosity is a critical element of coaching. And so from both standpoints, the coach who's curious about how teaching and learning happens. So I would suggest that that teacher sparked your curiosity. Yeah. So the idea that you would get engaged with that teacher in, for lack of better words, unlocking the mystery, Mm -hmm. (laughs) tapping the source of that teacher's success with the learner. I think teaching and learning is such an exciting field that that's what drives the majority of my coaching. I mean, it doesn't take me five minutes with a teacher to uncover something that the teacher wants to make happen. It's like I'm unlocking a puzzle with the teacher and we join, we form a partnership to jump into that study. It's the field of inquiry. Yeah. I like to think of learning as a curiosity, having a party. It's <laughs> nice. And yeah. Steve, in part one, when we talked last week, you brought up these two words that have stuck with you. And it was when you're trying to sustain a culture of coaching or build one, it was invitation to, and then go, then it leads toward expectation. So in regards to that invitation piece, what if you know that there's somebody who might not want it, but could definitely benefit from coaching, but isn't necessarily accepting of the invitation? I know that's been one of my pitfalls, maybe being a bit too forceful. So let's go back first to the culture piece. I need to have a culture where that teacher's 
current behavior is unacceptable within the culture of the school. That's why I have to take the time to build that. There's a, a great model I used to use of an anti-smoking advertisement <laughs> that ran on TV in the States. And it, it showed two people at a party, but they're out on the, uh, in the patio holding an umbrella in the rain, both having a cigarette. <laughs> and the one says to the other, remember when we started this to be in with the crowd? Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> but the culture had changed. And when you create a coaching culture within a school, that's the piece where that teacher not being part of that culture is feeling on the outside pressing in. Now, also in the school, there are administrators who have supervisory and evaluative roles. Mm -hmm. So if a teacher's performance isn't measuring up, those supervisory and evaluative components still need to be in place. Mm -hmm. And you decide the culture of your school. And, you know, in my mind, I want to create a school where growth was part of the culture. Yeah. So doing an okay job of teaching is, is going to be insufficient. I stole one from Tom Peters years ago, who was a business consultant. And Tom Peters said that the world had changed and that the only guarantee that a company could make to somebody that they hired was that when you leave, you'll have a better resume than when you came. Oh, so we, we have no law, you know, we can't promise you 20 years on the gold watch anymore. Those times just don't exist. But we can promise you that when you leave right. us, you'll have a better resume than when you came. Yeah. And he suggested that most supervisors replace their evaluation process with resume updating. <laughs> so every six months you sit down with a person and you update their resume. And if six months have gone by and you can't update your resume, it means there's a problem. Mm -hmm. So either as an organization, we have been providing you with the opportunities to grow or as an individual, you haven't been taking advantage of the opportunities, yeah. but that's the piece that, that should be driving that process. Yeah. That's a, that's a really good point. I was, I'm just trying to think of how might I respond if like all of a sudden, a former principal like sent me a meeting invite and called it resume update. It's <laughs> a particular time. So, Steve, can I stick on that line when there but, but, are administrators? You know, let me, Jonathan, let yeah, me yeah. just add one piece. But in order to have that culture, then you've got leadership who are modeling it. Right. Hmm. So I've talked about what does it mean when, when you come back at the beginning of the school year and your administrative team hands out copies of their growth plan for the coming year mm -hmm. and they're seeking teachers' input on their leadership growth plans so that you're modeling yeah. modeling what you're going to be expecting. Yeah. Steve, can I stick on that kind of train of thought about somebody that is is in both the coach and the evaluation space? Scott, do you mind if I jump in on this yeah, one? Just, go away. So so the, the reason that I, I'm I'm really curious about your thoughts around this is next year I'm actually moving into a dual role where yes, I'm a coordinator and the coach of the program, but I'm I'm also moving into the vice principal role as well. So what advice would you give me or anybody else that has to wear both hats? How can they successfully do the role, both roles in a way that's sustainable and effective? So the advice is that you can't wear two hats at once. Mm -hmm. So wearing both hats is appropriate. And the way you build trust, which is appropriate, is that people need to know which hat you're wearing when. And you need to be able to stay in that role. Mm 
So my most common example is most administrators find little satisfaction from doing evaluation. And because they find little satisfaction from it, they try to coach in the middle of their evaluation conference. And then that becomes confusing. It would be like a uh, asking a student in the middle of an exam to say, you know, there's two things I didn't know and you didn't ask about them. So I want to tell you about them. You know, if you're coaching <laughs> a student, that's the first thing the student would bring up. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to bring it up in the middle of the exam. So when people first started asking me, can administrators coach and, and evaluate? So, well, they better because they get have to model for teachers what's an expected teacher behavior. You're expecting your teacher to have points in their relationship with kids where they stop and, and carry out an evaluation. Yeah. And then they step from that evaluation back into a, a teaching coaching role. Now, here's the key. If I'm going to do evaluation and coaching, it means that the results of your evaluation have to be somewhat owned by me. So if I've evaluated you, we've identified an area for growth, and then I've coached you on that, and the growth didn't occur, I need to own some of that. Hmm. Just the way a teacher does a student evaluation, and as a teacher, I need to sit down and look at the results. And as a teacher, I need to own some of that. So where do we go from here? I think a companion piece to that, Jonathan, might be also modeling that, you know, as leaders, we are being coached, you know. So there's a as someone who's working alongside you, I think there's a real opportunity for us to be sharing that with our community. You know, like it's even transparent as Steve mentioned earlier, like what a really positive start to the year if we're going, here's my growth plan and here's mm-hmm. who I'm working with and we model all of the things that we're hoping to to be replicated, so to speak, but it is part of the the culture that we're leading. Yes, yeah, it's important. I wonder in that two hat bit. I mean, it, there's no doubt it makes it more complex, right? Like we just need to be very clear. But I, yeah, think, I, think, I think it makes it more complex. Some of the things thinking about the year to date around not forcing a coaching culture but not associating coaching with fixing something, right? I'm not going to fix you by Absolutely. coaching it, yeah? But I, I do wonder we should acknowledge we're going to make mistakes. <laughs> like right. Also, like how do you get better at this, right? How do you get better at being clear in your communication you just have to do it and have it shared that this is a goal that we want to do is there anything in that like besides trial and error steve i mean like (laughs) i'm just trying to say like if your intention is good and you're transparent in what you're trying to do it's making yourself vulnerable so if you're an administrator and you're coaching you finish the coaching conversation with a teacher and you turn and ask and say i would love some coaching input Mm. So in the conversation that you and I just had, was there any point where you felt it was supervisory or evaluative? Mm. And if it was, can you give me some feedback on that point? Because my goal is to develop my skills as a coach. Now, from my vantage point, I would look to minimize evaluation as much as I can. So... I'm a biggie on teachers doing self-evaluation and presenting their self-evaluation to their evaluator. If the teacher's identified the areas where he or she wants to grow and you're in agreement with them, you don't actually have to get into you as an evaluator. You can go ahead and and grow with it. And if you can reach the spot, 
pose the question to you this way. What percentage of your teachers don't need to be evaluated? I'm working with an international school right now, and they really feel the majority of their staff are above the evaluation process. Mm -hmm. And basically, the evaluation gets in the way of the growth process yeah. because it gets in the way of the administrator and teacher relationship. It gets in the way of, of teacher risk taking when, when there's no need to. So I want to pose a possibility to you. I'll bet that you have several performing arts instructors in your school who do next to no evaluation yeah. because their athletes, their participants set goals that are above the standards for the program. Yeah. And so almost everything the person is doing is providing feedback and assistance to the performer reaching their next step. It's true that in that how often the students of performing arts teachers, as an example, publicly and fairly permanently sharing their learning, <laughs> like those kids yeah, are putting right? it out there. And so in a way that if you said the same thing to a, a math colleague, we want you to put a student's math learning out there publicly and permanently to be sat down and enjoyed by everyone. So it's, it's, a different, it's a different kettle of fish, right? Yeah, but isn't that an important question to ask why? Yeah. If in the math program, students were setting their goals as to what they wanted to achieve and teachers were assisting students in setting those goals and supporting and, and working with the students, then the same way your administrative team has teachers setting goals for what they want to make happen yeah. and then providing a program that supports teachers in, uh, in achieving those goals, goals. That, the, uh, that the teachers have set. And at that point, the only time you really need to move into the supervisory or evaluative role is when the person is making uh, insufficient progress that they're not aware of. Mm -hmm power of goals shout out to all the wonderful math teachers there i didn't mean to pick on them back <laughs> the uh i really appreciate the idea that we're talking with students about the things that they're identifying that they want to learn and then how can i help you in that supportive space and that's just cyclical right so then the teachers are supporting the students and it's together we're achieving goals years ago i used to play with the term called studio learning so if you went into an art studio and you watch the way the instructor does a short direct instruction on, on a strategy or a technique, and then the students uh, get up and go to work, and then the students get up and walk around the room and look at other people's work and, and start asking questions about how did you, uh, you know, how did you get that color? How did you get that shadow built in? And then they go back and work on their own work some more. And I used to lay that example out and, and specifically go, you know, what would it look like in math class if kids were working in, in groups of two or three on this problem and they were getting up and walking around and, yeah. and looking at other student work and, and, and getting engaged in what it is they want to make happen and how they go about making it happen. I just think the same thing carries over to teaching. Yeah. Teaching has to move out into that public space. It has to be in, in front of my colleagues. Yeah. I have to be thinking and reflective about it in order for my growth. Yeah. It comes back to that, I, like it's not a solo, it's not a musical solo, right? It's a team. <laughs> we're playing in an orchestra. We're doing this together as a team of teachers. We're working with the kids. It's that shared public space mm -hmm. so that we know together we're doing this. 
So through this conversation, Steve, I've picked up on quite a few specific lessons that you've learned and, and some possible pitfalls from school. So just to recap, let me know if, if any of these are, are incorrect, but some pitfalls to avoid is as a leader, not being clear on your role within a situation, if you're wearing an evaluation hat and a coaching hat within your role. Second one is schools focusing too much on evaluation instead of growth. And a third one is leaders not modeling behavior that promote a culture of growth. And then in regards to creating a culture of coaching is having it being an expectation before an invitation. No, an invitation before an expectation. Right. But a pitfall is a pitfall is making it an expectation. Oh, oh, yeah, instead. Oh, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. The way you phrase it. Yeah. You need to flip it. Yeah. When you make it a requirement, it's really not coaching. Are there any other any other pitfalls that you could you have witnessed that you could share with us that you know would be like you know as a school as a leader as an administrator as a coach stay away from doing this and, <laughs> and you'll uh, it'll help you immensely. <laughs> the not spending sufficient time engaging the teacher in setting the goals of the coaching process. And whether that's an individual teacher setting the goals, whether it's a uh, department, a PLC, a grade level setting the goals that are driving the coaching. When people see the coaching is occurring because the system is implementing this program and it now begins to feel more supervisory. It's somebody else's goals that I'm being coached to, to implement. I got to spend the time. And if I was really going to be a focus as to why am I so big on coaching, I can't think of any other way to get the adult environment in the school Mm. to be a closer model of what you want the student learning environment to be. So in the ideal classroom, the teacher is working as a coach to students and students are working as coaches to each other. And so if you bring that back to the leadership of the school, you're really asking how can we create the adult interactions in our school to be a closer model of what we want the student learning interactions to be. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I love that the relationship between adult learning and professional growth as an inquiry cycle, like I've got something I want to test out here, I want to find out, let's do it together mirrors the same types of pedagogy really that we're expecting students of you know so who is it saying you should inspect what you expect or ask in that space of like let's do it together rather than having it done to kids and we're in some other space let's do it together i like i think that's a good point to a good place to wrap it up what do you think scott yeah it's not too bad one of the things steve that through a few of these podcasts we like to finish with is we just ask each other what's the best conversation we've had this week and in an earlier podcast, I offered that I had the, a teacher lit my curiosity and I was really interested because this teacher couldn't get through and was wondering what might happen with a particular student. And I'm happy to say that that, I don't want to say it was low-hanging fruit, but that conversation really then took us into a space where we were able to work together and the invitation to work together with other teachers as well who had a similar sort of curiosity about this student not learning in the way we thought they might be able to. And so it's still a work in progress, but it was such a, 
the curiosity was matched and I really found myself, it's why I'm up and about today. Yeah. It's really interesting. So Steve, what's the best conversation you've had this week? Yeah, mine, mine actually occurred last evening at the end of a Zoom session I was doing. I was working with a group of teachers in New Jersey, and we were looking at reframing our thoughts about teaching, so especially related to coming out of COVID. So what if we focused on, on love over fear? So what if we weren't afraid of learning lost, but in love with what kids were going to be capable of doing? What if we reframed our assembly line school model to an ecosystem model? What if we reframed our short-term decision-making to looking at longer term? And as the conversation went on and we wrapped up and people actually started dropping off the Zoom, a young teacher came on. She said it was her third year and that this had just been the most exciting insights that she had gained. And she's so excited about moving forward with it, but fearful of being a third year teacher trying to bring changes into the building. And the person who was facilitating the PD stayed on along with me and that teacher and drove her to say, to move from, unfortunately, I'm a third-year teacher, to fortunately, yeah. <laughs> I'm a third-year teacher, with the energy and the thought and the passion to know that I can make change happen. Wow. The power of reframing thinking. Yeah. That's awesome. You want to know what my, the best conversation I've had this week? I really do. It's this one that I'm having oh, right now. Jonathan. Anytime I get to talk to you and Steve, it is the best. <laughs> Again, Steve, thank you so much for joining us last week as well as this week. We really appreciate your time. Again, I just get so much from having a conversation with you and just, yeah, just you push my thinking constantly. And I really appreciate all the work that you've been doing for the past four decades and continue to do. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for being curious. Appreciate it. All right, Scotty, should we get out of here? We should. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Jonathan. See everybody. Babylon. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Babble Ed podcast. Subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. You can connect with Jonathan and Scott via Twitter at jfjmiller and at lindscott or through connectedlearningpartnerships.com. Listener.